Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Get your advanced PhD in WOW from Floor and Decor. If you're a pro, you're already an expert in tile, wood, and stone. And with Floor and Decor's job site delivery, their free design services, and pro rewards that actually reward you, your business is set to grow from one client to the next. Floor and Decor isn't just a couple of aisles. It's an entire store designed to help your business boom. It's Floor and Decor. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. When you think about serendipity, you likely think of strokes of good luck that happen entirely by chance. But my guest today says that we can play a role in harnessing more lightning strikes of fortune and create the conditions to both experience a greater number of meaningful accidents and make accidents more meaningful. His name is Christian Bush. He's a professor of economics and entrepreneurship and the author of The Serendipity Mindset, The Art and Science of Creating Good Luck. We begin our conversation with what serendipity is, how it's different from simple chance, and is instead a kind of smart luck, which requires acting on the unexpected expected in connecting the dots of seemingly random events. We then discussed the three types of serendipity, the obstacles to experiencing this force, and how the amount of serendipity you experience depends on how you frame the world. Christian explains how to develop a serendipity-seeking mindset, including how to intentionally see triggers for it, and we enter a conversation with how organizations, and not just individuals, can take steps to strategically leverage the power of serendipity. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is serendipity. All right, Christian Bush, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So you are the author of a new book called The Serendipity Mindset, The Art and Science of Creating Good Luck. Let's talk about your background, what led up to the writing of this book. What started you to down the path exploring luck and chance and serendipity? It's actually been a quite serendipitous journey. I mean, it, it really started when I had an accident when I was 18. You know, I used to be this kind of reckless teenager who... You know, had to repeat a year in high school. I was kicked out of school. So I was this kind of troubled kid in a way. And I transferred this kind of lifestyle into my driving style. And then uh, one day I wasn't that lucky anymore. And I crashed into four parked cars. And I won't forget the policeman who came to the scene. And he was like, oh my God, he's still alive. And so this idea that I was supposed to be dead, that stuck with me. And kind of it put me on this intense search for meaning. And, you know, I started reading this wonderful book of Viktor Frankl, uh, The Man's Search for Meaning which is all about finding meaning in the most dire of situations. And so it kind of inspired me to try to figure out what, what gives me meaning, what could I do in the world that somehow is meaningful. And so I started out as a community builder and then entrepreneur, social entrepreneur, and then went into research. And one of the things that I just found extremely fascinating was that the most purpose-driven, inspiring, successful people around me, they seem to have something in common, which was that they intuitively cultivate serendipity. They intuitively see something in the unexpected and then turn that into positive outcomes. And so I got really excited about this and it, it became kind of a life philosophy and a daily practice. 
but you know, I, th- I first wanted to, to write a book about purpose and impact and related questions. And I remember pitching that to friends and saying, hey, this is my new book. And they were like, yeah, but you know what? Do you have other things, other ideas as well? And so I was like, all right. Well, actually, the thing I'm really excited about is serendipity. And so that kind of like is how the book came about. And, and now it's really kind of this bringing the last 15 years of my life into this, but also a lot of kind of the research and just being fascinated by, by this kind of life force that, that serendipity can be. Well, let's start with definitions. What is serendipity and how is it different from chance or randomness? Yeah, you know, I mean, usually when we think about luck, we think about this kind of blind luck, right? So being born into a loving family or things that we can't influence that much. But actually, serendipity is all about this kind of active, smart luck. So, you know, this unexpected good luck that comes from our own actions. And so, you know, think about this situation. You're in a coffee shop. And if you have erratic hand movements, as I do, which makes me nervous also with a microphone here, by the way, that I might flash that over at some point. But essentially, if you're kind of like a slightly, you know, a hand gesture type person as I am, you might spill your coffee over the person next to you. And imagine that situation where you sense that kind of connection, right? You sense there might be something there. And now you have two options, right? Option one is that you kind of say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Here's a napkin. And then you walk outside afterwards and you're like, ah, what could have been? And option number two is like, well, hey, I'm so sorry. I was so immersed in XYZ idea. And, you know, you start talking with the person and it might become the love of your life. It might become a co-founder. And so really this kind of idea that, yes, there's something unexpected happening here, but you acted on it and you did something with it. You created your own smart luck. So let's talk about what what makes a serendipitous thing serendipitous. Like what are the factors? Like what makes something you know, what are you looking for when you're, when the scientists, when your research, like what makes something serendipitous as opposed to, you know, just based on pure skill or just pure chance? Yeah, it's really this idea of saying, what is something that unexpectedly happens, but where we then see some kind of action? And I think that's, you know, coming a lot to that question of what is, what could have happened? Like this situation I just mentioned with, you know, when you spill that coffee, like we might all have that same situation, but then the question is, how do we act on it? What do we do with it? And if you think about how serendipity unfolds and, you know, examples of Viagra, for example, where, you know, you have people who researched a completely different medication, angina, essentially, they gave people medication and they were like, okay, great. Like, it seems like people have some kind of movement in their trousers. I mean, male participants. And so, you know, now a lot of times what we might do is we might be embarrassed or we might see it as a failure that like our medication doesn't really work or has these kind of side effects, but they did the opposite. They said, okay, that's unexpected, but you know what? Maybe there is something in there that could help a lot of people. And so that's how Viagra evolved as a kind of like, in a way out of a quote unquote experiment that didn't work or that kind of like had a weird side effect. And so that's really what I'm most fascinated by when looking at serendipity, that a lot of times it's really kind of trying to trace how did something positive that positively unexpected emerged? What was behind that? What was the process behind that? So was it really just this incidence or was it really something where someone had to see something in the unexpected and then connect the dots? And that's really um, my fascination for is in terms of saying, what is that kind of connecting the dot piece that, that needs to be there? Well, so in the, yeah, in the book, I like, you talk about, there's like a trigger with an event. So in the Viagra example, like the trigger is like people started noticing dudes were getting erections after taking this heart medication and it was unanticipated. But then you also talk about this idea of bisociation. Like, what is that? Yeah. So that's really about this idea of like, that we have to connect that with something, right? So if we 
uh, let's, you know, this example of seeing that there's some kind of erection happening or the example that there's a coffee that's spilled or, you know, other examples where there's something unexpected happening. So that the, that's the trigger. That's the initial thing that happens. But then it's, a, it's, it's up to us to connect that to something, to some kind of problem. You know, in the case of Viagra, it was the problem that a lot of people in the world have that bigger problem of not having erections. In the case of the coffee shop, it might be, you know, it might be nice to find a love partner. So something that somehow makes the those dots meaningful. And so that's what serendipity is a lot about, this kind of idea that we we make accidents meaningful, but also, and I think that's something that, that we'll probably talk about later, we can also create more meaningful accidents. But it's really about saying we need to somehow imbue meaning in that kind of trigger that happens. Are there different types of serendipity? Yeah. So there's three kind of broader types. One is really this kind of Archimedes serendipity, when you're looking for something specific already to solve a problem, right? So maybe you want to find a specific job or something where in a way you're looking for something already, but then there's something unexpected, like some unexpected kind of way of getting into the company by another friend that you didn't even know worked there. Or, you know, in this example of Archimedes, the reason why it's, why it's called that, where he was essentially, you know, trying to figure out for the king if the crown that the king got was really, you know, full of gold or was there some kind of fake crown going going on there. And so he didn't find a solution to that problem, how to know that it is gold. And so he would go to the baths and he would kind of go into the baths. And then he realized, oh, wow, when I go here into the water, the water is essentially, the water levels rise as people lower themselves into it and they rise differently depending on, you know, how, how much weight they have and, and how big they are. And so essentially he realized that if he could um, like measure um, or see how um, much the kind of gold replaced, if you would have a real gold crown and then this crown, you could see if that would be really gold. And so in a way he found an unexpected way to, to figure out what, what that was about, um, which is very different from the kind of post it note serendipity, which is more the kind of serendipity where, you know, you, you're looking for something completely different. You know, you're looking for maybe a job in a particular industry and then you come across something, you know, in another industry and you're like, oh my God, this could work too. Or in the case of post it serendipity, it's really about this idea that you know this guy mr mr spencer he was figuring out like how he could develop a stronger glue and then somehow he realized that actually the only thing he created was like a sticky substance and so he realized hey you know what maybe i can use that as a as a as a posted kind of like um weak glue in a way and so um again he he figured out a way to do something useful but but not necessarily the one he was looking for. And then the third one, which is my absolute favorite, because it's really about this idea that life, any moment, any second can bring you a complete change in everything that, that could be for the better, is really that kind of thunderbolt serendipity. So this kind of being struck by something out of nowhere, like in this kind of um, example where, you know, you're not even looking for falling in love and in the street, you somehow, you know, unexpectedly meet someone or those kind of things which unexpectedly happen and, and, and without us looking for it. And so, but all these kind of examples have in common that it's always this kind of unexpected thing. There's always something we have to do something with it, but also we need the tenacity and, and, and really kind of this grit to, to do that. And I think I've seen in my own life, a lot of times I've been held back by, you know, the kind of inner imposter that comes out sometimes, the syndrome or, or other things where um, it's, it's really kind of, we need to stick with it. Otherwise it, it won't happen. So, okay. Serendipity is you, you notice a trigger and you are able to make that connection, connect dots on it in an unexpected way. And so it, it requires developing what you look at the title of your book, a serendipity mindset, a mindset where you start noticing those things. But you spend the one chapter in the book exploring the obstacles 
that we have in noticing serendipity in our lives, what, what are the big, big obstacles that prevent people from noticing those triggers and making those connections? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, a lot of those actually I've seen in myself as well and a lot in the people around me where, you know, one is really around this idea that we we underestimate the unexpected. I mean, I remember this friend in, in school who would always be like, oh, like, it's very probable that the improbable happens. And I always thought, oh, wow, that sounds very mysterious, but I have no idea what you're talking about. And then what I realized is, you know, if you think about our conversation now, right? I mean, it's very unlikely that my microphone drops down. It's very unlikely that the computer kind of, you know, gets off like and, and stops working and all these different types of things. But if you add up all these different things, it actually becomes relatively likely that some kind of glitch might happen or something. And so we tend to have this illusion of control that we can control a lot of things. And, you know, we get trained in school and business school and high school. I mean, I grew up in Germany. We get trained that we can plan things out, but then actually the unexpected is usually what really shapes our lives. And so it's really this kind of idea that we have this illusion of control, but the unexpected happens all the time. And a lot of times we don't necessarily see it or we don't necessarily do something with it. And so it's really, we, we tend to underestimate that, which is a pity because in a way, we once we start opening our eyes, like, you know, in some companies, for example, I work with, they start weekly meetings with a question of what surprised you last week. And once you ask these simple questions, people get much more open to, oh, there was something in the data about our marketing strategy that didn't work. Hey, great. Like we can directly do something about this now versus waiting for another couple of months. And so it's really this kind of becoming more realistic about how unexpected a lot of things will actually be. Another one, which is actually my, my favorite, is around this idea that we we tend to post-rationalize. So essentially, we tend to look back at things and we then spin them as if they were very predictable. So, you know, picture the kind of manager who, you know, speaks to the committee meeting and says, oh, yeah, we had this and this plan, and then we wanted to reach this, and this is how we reached it. So, like, we tell it as a step-by-step story, but usually it's like a bit more of a squibble, right? Where, like, it's it's some unexpected kind of thing usually emerged, but we still tell it as if it was step-by-step. And so I guess we've all done that, you know, with our CVs where we might say, oh, yeah, I always wanted to go into this industry and then this. Yeah, but maybe you just ran into someone at a conference and they gave you a new job. And so it's really this kind of idea that a lot of times we airbrush serendipity out of our lives because we we assume that life might be more kind of planable, but also because we we feel that sense we have to to portray more more of control than than we actually had and and I think that's kind of quite related also to the other ones which I mean maybe a third one is really around this kind of idea that we tend to have a bit of functional fixedness so this kind of hem and nail problem where you know as soon as you have a hammer and you you, you want to get a nail in the in into the wall you will always look for where's the hammer so that I can get into the into the wall so you you know, you wouldn't necessarily look for other objects that could do the same. And so that's the same for when we have one way of how we solve a problem, usually in business or in in our personal life. And we then kind of use the same model, the same approach, even though there might be much more effective ones. And so it closes us down to serendipity because we, we assume we have it figured out already. Right. Yeah. Like the functional fixedness, like that's how, that's one way goals and plans can get in the way of serendipity. Are you just like, well, this is the goal. This is what we're supposed to do. This is the plan. And if we deviate from the plan, that's a problem. But like maybe there's deviations that could be better than your original plan. Absolutely. And, you know, that's something we we did a study recently with people who lead larger companies. And what was fascinating was, I mean, they are extremely inspirational, purpose-driven um, leaders. And one thing they all had in common is that they, they have a pretty good sense of directions or so a certain North Star or sense of purpose or a curiosity, just something that guides them. But also then they have this kind of like 
humility or this kind of this idea that hey the unexpected will happen and that's okay you know one thing i i really love about your your podcast is kind of really thinking about like you know i think we've been instilled especially as men like for a very long time when you grow up right that you have to have this kind of very strong sense of exactly where you're going what you're doing and you know this kind of like type of masculinity that that can lead us in the wrong direction because it doesn't allow for this humility sometimes where we would just say hey look you know what like maybe you know there is a certain sense of direction but also we need to be able to to see that we can't plan everything out and so i think that's where um it kind of gets gets really into the kind of idea that if we have that sense of direction a lot of times it's really also about that humility of of being open to the unexpected all right so it sounds like to prevent goals from you know getting that functional fixedness you just instead of being completely goal driven like have a general vision a big picture view of where you want to go and then be open to new ways of achieving that that vision. Exactly. Okay. Well, and another thing that you highlight a lot of research about how people can like make those connections more of like of serendipitous connections is their frame of mind, like their their how they frame the world. And there's a lot of research coming out of this where there's like research that shows that lucky people see the world different than from unlucky people. Can you walk us through some of that research? Yeah, it's actually quite fascinating because it's really a lot about this question of how do you, by the way, you afraid the world already kind of predefine a lot of what will happen to you. And so one of these experiments is, you know, a colleague took one person who self-identifies as very lucky. So someone who says, good things always happen to me. And then someone who says, bad things always happen to me. I'm always an accident. So someone who kind of considers themselves to be very unlucky. And so he tells them, walk down the street, go into a coffee shop, order a coffee and sit down and then we'll have our interview. What he doesn't tell them is that there's hidden cameras across the street and in the coffee shop, there's a five pound note in front of the door and inside the coffee shop, it's only actors. And then there's this kind of super successful businessman who sits at the table who can make big dreams happen. And so now the lucky person, the person who self-identifies as lucky, walks down the street, sees the five pound note, picks it up, goes inside, orders the coffee, sits next to the businessman. That's the table that's closest or the, the seat that's closest. Has a wonderful conversation. They exchange business cards and, and that's that. The unlucky person walks down the street, steps over the five pound note so doesn't see it, goes inside, orders the coffee, sits next to the businessman. That's the, the empty seat that's kind of closest. Ignores the businessman and that's that. Now, at the end of the day, they ask both people, so how was your day today? And so the lucky person says, well, it was amazing. I, you know, found money in the street. I made a new friend. And, you know, we don't know if an opportunity came out of it, but it wouldn't be unexpected. And the unlucky person just says, well, nothing really happened. And so it's really kind of that idea that at the end of the day, they, they framed like the occasions already in a way where they were more open to that kind of um, unexpected luck to happen. All right. So but what happens though, if like, okay, this comes a lot down to like personality traits. There's like this idea of neuroticism, like neurotic people tend to be not as open to new things as say more people with more, more open personality. Like what do you, how do you manage that? What if you, what if you tend to be like a Larry David type and everything's just terrible all the time? It, can you proactively tr- change your, the way you frame the world so that you can have more of those serendipitous occasions? It's interesting because, you know, as a closet introvert, you know, I I have these spikes of extroversion, but actually I'm quite introverted. And so I've always kind of like 
try to figure out ways of how can you cultivate serendipity without having to always put yourself out there or without having to always be in a really good mood or without always having to be on and, and, and so on. And, and I feel like there's a lot of aspects to exactly your point where things such as extroversion and quote unquote good energy and putting yourself out there can benefit, right? In terms of like you meet more people potentially, you keep in touch with more people, people tend to reach out more. So there's all these things that potentially facilitate serendipity. But at the same time, there's a huge role for potential like for, for people who are more introverted or, or more kind of close in the sense that serendipity so often comes from silent sources, from calm sources, like reading a book and then connecting the dots to something maybe we saw on television and then coming up with something or, you know, kind of reflecting on a conversation that we had at work two weeks ago and now giving ourselves the reflective space to do that. And so there, there's a role for kind of introverts to have, have that as well. And at the same time, introverts a lot of times or more introverted people also are a great complement in teams for extroverts because extroverts tend to be out there, out there, out there. And then they need this kind of reflective space of introversion to, to really kind of help them ground it and make sense out of it and, and filter it. And so it's interesting also that I feel a lot of times as an introvert, like one thing, for example, that I've tried to do more and more is when I go to an event or so that I try to talk with the host and like the key people at the beginning and kind of like get them excited about an idea so that they in a way can this, can spread the idea. So it's almost like you're trying to, to embed it with the people who can then be extrovert for you, even if you don't feel like doing it yourself. So the, so the big part of serendipity mindset is just being more open to, or yeah, just, yeah, just being open to new possibilities. Like don't just be so narrowly focused. Speaking of like, you're describing that one research, that one experiment with the, the coffee shop, remind me of another experiment you highlighted. And it goes back to that idea of having a narrow focus and like goals or functional fixedness was the newspaper one where they did an experiment where they told people, we want you to find like certain words in this newspaper article. And then the article, and if you do, you'll win X amount of money or, but, or in the newspaper, there was like a point where it said, stop reading, you, you'll win $500. And like, I, I know I'm kind of like, I'm botching the details, but the idea of this experiment showed that you get so focused on, on a goal or an idea that you, you miss other opportunities that are, might even be better. Exactly. And that's something I feel we might actually do quite often because we, in a way, assume that there is that kind of, you know, idea of, you know, we have to have a specified kind of way of how we go about things. And I'll then so focused on it that we might miss things. And so, I mean, you know, that happens in the in the company context all the time, right? Where imagine you're the kind of manager and you're saying, we need to cut costs. And then you send people out to cut costs. But because you said cut costs rather than let's increase profits, which could, al- which could also be about selling more things, or it could be about many more things, like you, you, you're kind of making people much more like narrow, not necessarily narrow-minded, but narrow-looking for where there could be potential solutions. And I feel a lot of times we do that because we we want to decrease kind of uncertainty. We want to decrease potential risk and everything else. But what we're really doing is we're, we're shutting our, ourselves down to serendipity a lot of times. And it's really something, it comes back to also to, I think, what we talked about earlier around this idea of how do we have that kind of sense of where we're going, but are also open for these kind of unexpected things, such as that literally in the newspaper, it might tell us that we already found the solution. And, 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 and that's really a lot around this idea of having a certain sense of where we're going, but at the same time being open to, hey, th- it, it might arise very unexpectedly. We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. Wedding season is coming up. And if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. 
Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, so if you're like me, you've probably signed up for a whole bunch of stuff that has a recurring monthly fee. Subscriptions to newsletters, subscriptions to services that you use online, uh, could be a streaming service, something like that. You sign up for it and then you forget about it. And then every month you're getting charged and charged and charged and they just all add up and you have a hard time trying to figure out where did I sign up for this? I don't know where this is coming from. Well, let me tell you, there's an app that can help you with that. It's called Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. Stop wasting money in things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ziprecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of known in negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. 
Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. And now back to the show. All right, so having more serendipity in your life requires you to be more open, more have a more open, more curious mindset in being able to notice potential triggers for serendipity. But you also argue in the book that we can proactively seed triggers, potential serendipity triggers in our lives. What does that look like? What are some ways that people can do that? Yeah, that's one of my favorites because it's all about this question of how do we create meaningful accidents in a way? How do we create positive coincidences? And so, which is, of course, extremely counterintuitive. And so it's something where the setting or the casting hooks is, is all about this question of how do we essentially let other people connect the dots for us? So there's a wonderful entrepreneur in London, Ollie Barrett. And if you would ask him this kind of dreaded question, what do you do, right? The question that comes at every conference, at every when you meet a new person, he would not just answer, oh, I'm a technology entrepreneur or something. He would say, well, I'm a technology entrepreneur, recently started reading into the philosophy of science, but what I'm really excited about is playing the piano. And so what he's doing here is he's giving you three potential hooks where you could be like, oh my God, such a coincidence. I started playing the piano recently. Let's host a matinee together. Or my God, such a coincidence. My brother is a professor for the philosophy of science. I should put you in touch. The point here is that the more we can see these different dots into conversations about our own interests or interests of others, the more we can then essentially have other people pick up on this and say, oh my God, such a coincidence, this and this and this and this. Um, That's also similar to how we can, whenever someone tells us about them in our head, we can always go, no, in terms of, oh, how does this connect to the people I've met recently? How does this connect to what I'm really excited about? And what's really interesting there is that then at any in every conversation, even with people we know really well already, serendipity can happen all the time. And so it's really kind of setting these hooks consciously and being part of facilitating that. Um, conversely, and, and the other way around, we can also ask questions differently. I mean, we can, instead of asking, what do you do? We can ask things like, what's on your mind? Or what inspired you about XYZ situation? Or things that that really kind of open up this opportunity space to say, let's get ourselves out of this kind of routine autopilot of of just kind of saying the same things to like, what is something that could really open this this space? And and that's similar to to really kind of setting serendipity bombs because it's it's a lot about this question of how do I, you know, put minds out there that could go off. And so, you know, can go everything. If you're a job seeker, so some of my my students, for example, you know, they had their whole career mapped out, they had their jobs mapped out, their internships and everything got canceled due to COVID. And then the, the strategy that we used essentially was to say, hey, look, like identify the top 20 people that you find extremely inspiring in your industry, but also in other industries. And, you know, go on LinkedIn, look if you have a like contact in common. So second degree contacts, you can send an email so you can contact them directly and then send them super friendly mails along the lines of super inspired by you, a young person who's like big dreams, X, Y, Z. And, you know, usually what happens is it's a numbers game out of 20 people, like three people write back and say, oh my God, such a coincidence. We are currently exploring this. We don't have a job, but like, if you want to do X, Y, Z, we can, we can get back to you. And the point is like, these are the people who then in half a year have those people on the radar to get back to them and say, now it fits. And so it's really like, like putting ourselves on the radar and like laying a couple of these minds out there so that, that they could go off at any point in time. Well, yeah, using LinkedIn, that's an example of using technology to leverage technology to, to seed a lot of triggers. Exactly. And, and, you know, I feel especially in, in COVID times where 
so many of us, I mean, I'm here in New York and I've been literally kind of in this flat for yeah the last half year, right? And when I think about the the water cooler moments that have been taken away, you know, all these kind of moments where you could just run into someone at work or in a coffee shop or else. And so the question of how can we do that virtually? And so I think technology has been really interesting because you you can do so many things, right? Like, I mean, I've seen some companies, for example, start doing online coffee trials, random coffee trials where people within the organization give you one or two kind of ideas of when they are free this week. So, hey, I have an hour between 12 and 1. And then platforms like Slack or other kind of platforms can help randomly match people and then have them like go for a coffee for an hour, give them an inspiring prompt. And so especially in larger organizations where you always had this when you're a young person, particularly, like you always hope that you might run into the, the right person, right? And so it's kind of that like sets you up to a lot of like random kind of bumping into the kind of person who could really change your life, change your career. And so we can really accelerate that online as well by, by, by facilitating some of these kind of random encounters. One thing I can see can start happening once you start developing the serendipity mindset where you're more open to potential serendipity triggers is you might start noticing too many triggers and you might start making too many connections and it's, it's going to be hard to figure out like, should I take this? Should I take action on this connection? It's like, how do you manage serendipity overload? That, that's, that's such a great question because it's something, I mean, I've, I've struggled with a lot in terms of how do you essentially not get distracted? I mean, in this case, for example, when you write a book, right? How do you make sure that when you have approximately figured out what you want to write about, that you don't get pulled away by other really interesting things that could like come up somewhere and, and things like that? And so one of the things I found extremely useful is to kind of have this North Star or this idea of, okay, what is the kind of key focus area at this point? And every serendipity that relates to it, great. And everything else, like gets on the parking lot. So, you know, starting like a serendipity journal where it's all about saying, this is kind of like, you know, the current North Star or the current kind of story of self or just this idea of of writing down what is it at the moment that is really meaningful to me and then saying, okay, hey, I can also write down the other areas that pop up and ideas that pop up, but they get stored here for later. So they're not being discarded, but they're just kind of like put on the, on the parking lot. But also really this idea then of kind of having people around to help filter bouncing ideas off with them. And in companies, it's, it's kind of things like brain trusts, so informal kind of, you know, three, four people who just kind of informally evaluate ideas from time to time. So I feel this kind of filter being extremely important so that to not get distracted and to really kind of um, follow the, the North Star that, that's there at, at a certain point. And if we don't have a North Star, then maybe this kind of idea of, oh, is there like an underlying interest at the moment or a curiosity that these things should somehow relate to so that it makes sense. And that also makes it easier than actually to meaningfully connect dots because we know what to connect them to. I, I want to backtrack this idea of like seeding triggers because I just had an idea. Like one thing that I've, we, we were talking about what you can do with when you're with people. Like you can say, well, I'm, inter- I'm my name is Brett. I'm, I got a podcast. I'm interested in this. As, and then you can, maybe that's a potential hook. But I was thinking like what you can do to seed triggers for like ideas without people. And one thing that I, I, I like doing is to get new ideas for things is go to used bookstores what I like used bookstores for is because there's no algorithm there, right? Because when you go to Amazon, Amazon knows your shopping history, what interests you. And so you can end up kind of seeing the same stuff over and over again. There's a great used bookstore here in Tulsa, Gardner's Bookstore. Every time I go in there, I find three or four books that I never would have saw on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble because they're 
you know, they haven't been in print for a while or they just wouldn't be on the radar. And a few of them actually turned into podcast guests I, that wouldn't even been on the radar if I hadn't gone in there. And it, for some reason, whenever I go into a used bookstore, like my, I'm just more open to potential books to pop out at me that I otherwise would have probably just shut off in any other situation. That's such a cool example because that's exactly where in a way to to your point earlier also like how then every situation can become a potential trigger for it for serendipity because we we give ourselves the space for it but also we in a way see that it can be in those kind of calm silent sources that in a way are in books uh, that are in even maybe the conversation then with a bookseller or you know in these kind of situations but even without that conversation to your point like the kind of real more silent source type approach being being very effective and it seems like i mean that that is something have, it sounds like you've been using that quite a bit or yeah like i go like i try to go like once a year because that seems about the time when like they got new stock in <laughs> and so yeah. I'll, we'll go there and we'll just you know books are cheap and we'll just find lots of stuff I, I, you find like a lot of weird stuff too that's like even like old magazines mm-hmm. that might have an idea for you know maybe an article that i'll write sometime later another th- useful place where you can go for like sort of a silent serendipity like for me it's like serendipity bomb is like uh, antique stores or mm. flea markets or because you just find all sorts of weird stuff and you other you wouldn't find on Amazon. You're not going to find at the shelves in Walmart. But you're just going to find just old random stuff, and it, there might be an idea there for something. Yeah, and that's I mean that's fascinating because I feel if you think like throughout history how like the really like brilliant minds right from Da Vinci to others how they came up with their most brilliant ideas it would literally be they observe birds or they observe something and then they're like oh my god birds are flying in this and this way that is what I could use for my research here. Or like, you know, this idea that in a way we then see also kind of, we see particular pe- like patterns that we can maybe transfer also to our area. And so I feel like there's there's so much in there in terms of giving ourselves the space to observe in, you know, to your point, like antiques and on, on even like just sitting out there and, and observing people in the street and, and, and really kind of seeing that as an opportunity. And one of the things, I mean, we, we haven't talked about yet, but like, what what is so fascinating about serendipity is is this incubation time, right? That in a way you might go into the bookstore today and you might read something or just see something, and then in half a year when you have a podcast guest who somehow reminds you of it, like you're like you you might have a shower and like on a Sunday morning, and then it's like Eureka, hey, it fits exactly to what they're doing, or these kind of things where this incubation time of serendipity, where yes, the trigger might happen much earlier than the actually connecting the dots happens, and and so on, and so that's the beauty of it that in a way no moment quote unquote is lost because it could always inform serendipity in the future. Right. It's always a potential, potential connection. You never know. Mm-hmm. So if you decide, like, let's say you start noticing things, you, you start making connections and you've put in a filter in place. You're not, you're not a dilettante and scattered brain and going all different directions. But let's say, I mean, one of the problems with serendipitous things is that they can lead to a lot of dead ends. You don't know where it's going to go. It could just be a complete dead end. How do you create buffer in your life so that you can handle the potential, I'm not going to say setbacks or failures, but just something like, you know, a serendipitous occasion didn't work out. How can you manage or sort of be able to absorb that without it completely destroying your career or whatever? Yeah. It's interesting because it comes a lot, I guess, to the question of how do we build portfolios or how do we see essentially things such as a career or so more as a platform or a portfolio type where you say, hey, you know, if I'm working for, I don't know, Goldman Sachs and I've been working on a project that didn't 100% work out or something, how can I reposition myself within that company with something that, that relates to something else? 
but do that in a way that is low risk. So a friend of mine, what she does, for example, is when she works on projects, she always tries to kind of build in that idea that it's about experimentation. And so she frames like every new idea she frames already in a way that is not about I'm betting my whole life on this. I'm betting whole my passion on this. I'm betting like everything on it in terms of energy. Like that's of course important, but she's, she's also kind of framing it directly as this is a new journey. This is something that's important. And so she, she's, she sets herself up for if it doesn't work out, like she can frame it around experimentation. She can frame it around like it's something that, that just didn't work versus like it's something that makes me a failure or, or else. And I feel, unfortunately, like we've created this culture, I think, of perfection where everything that doesn't work out seems to be a sign that someone is a failure and like kind of a, like an attribution to someone versus saying, no, we actually, you know, all human beings that that experiment and that learn. And I think everyone who's a parent uh, among, among us, like probably also can relate to that question. I mean, I'm, I'm not yet there, but I've had a lot of conversations with parents around how do you essentially, you know, rubber stamp forward and learn from kind of the things that don't work. And I feel that kind of mindset being really about building in the buffer already by the way we frame it versus like saying, oh, like if it doesn't work, like everything will fail. And, and it's interesting because maybe also from that other perspective, then how life in itself constantly leads to some kind of dead ends, no, in terms of, I mean, I feel when I look back on my life, I've had so many quote unquote situations of bad luck where in the moment it felt like really bad luck, but then actually it turned into good luck again. And so I will never forget actually when I handed in the first draft of the manuscript, I went to the publisher and I was like, Hey, here, like, here's the manuscript. I'm so excited about it. And they were like, Hey, look, we really like it, but we need more love stories. And I was like, I don't know if I'm as the 35 year old, like single guy back then, like, you know, if I'm the kind of person to tell people about love and they were like, no, no, but let's see if we can find a love story. And so I had a meeting right after that with an ex-girlfriend of mine, who's a very close friend of mine now. And so I asked her, so, so, Hey, I need a love story. Do you know of any love story? And she was like, well, our story. And I was like, what do you mean our story? And so she was like, look, like we serendipitously met in a Starbucks. We kind of, you know, got into a conversation. We made emerged into a beautiful relationship and, and we're not together anymore, but we put each other like on a beautiful trajectory emotionally. We connected each other to really nice people who then led us into our new lives. And so it's kind of this, this whole idea that also the question of what is success? Like is success of a relationship that you're still together or is it that you maybe put each other on different trajectories? And, and so, 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 so the point being that bad luck in the moment breaking up could also again now lead to good luck in the long run. And so really looking at things from a long-term perspective also, I feel helps to, you know, de-risk the moment because the moment itself probably is not really defining us over a longer period of time. No, I think that's a good point. It, it's, it's all about that frame of mind. It all goes back to that, that framing things. I remember from my own life, when I was in law school, this is when I started The Art of Manliness. It was originally a blog. It's still, we still write text content, but then it turned into a podcast. But when I was in law school, I applied for some internships, some summer internships with a big firm here in town. And like, you know, basically, if you get that summer internship, the idea is like they would offer you a job at the end of the summer. I thought I was like, I was going to be a shoo-in and I worked really hard and I didn't get picked. And I was at the moment, I was like, man, this, this is terrible. This is devastating. This is awful. But I, I think if like, if I had gotten the job offer, like I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I wouldn't be doing this. I would have been a, an attorney in Tulsa doing oil and gas law or something. Yeah. And, and that, isn't that the fascinating thing about life? No, when looking back, how a lot of times those moments where we felt, oh, like this is kind of, this is bringing me into a really bad kind of, you know, X, Y, Z, like, which actually turned out to be to your point. I'm sure you live a much more meaningful life now. And so it's, 
it's really that kind of reframing, but also in a way, I remember a wonderful friend of mine, he, he always used to say that, you know, if, if you look at life and you have 90 years to live and you, you really kind of look at one situation like that, a lot of times when you kind of look back in life, like those kind of situations reframe like also for yourself, like what is important to you. It's, it's an opportunity for self to, to realize that we are you know, we think we want something to your point, like you want something in law, but actually you realize maybe something else could be more meaningful. And so that taking the long view in life actually also helps us to really discover more meaningful things potentially. How can organizations develop the serendipity mindset? It's interesting because so a lot of organizations at the moment, especially, right, like are really scrambling to, hey, how do we cope with uncertainty? How do we cope with the idea that we can't plan things out the way we thought we always could? And so I'm a big fan of, developing practices internally that help us to kind of get used to the idea that we have to constantly kind of iterate, but also, you know, back to the point that we discussed earlier, that a clear kind of sense of direction or, or sense of where we're going needs to be kind of combined with, with those. And so one practice, for example, that I'm a big fan of is the, the project funeral or the, the post-mortem, which is all about this idea that when a project doesn't work out, so let's say you know, in, in one example, they developed a kind of glass, a window glass where the light wouldn't reflect. And it was a beautiful technology, but they didn't realize that people wouldn't pay a lot of money for, for that product. Like when that doesn't work out, the idea is to say, okay, present it in front of other project managers from other divisions and say what you learned from it. Like it's not about celebrating failure. It's about celebrating the learning from what didn't work. And so in this example, you know, they would lay to rest. They would say, okay, we learned next time we'll try to understand the market better. And, you know, then someone in the audience goes like, hey, hey, have you considered what this would mean for solar? Have you considered if you would put that technology into a solar device, like how amazing that could absorb energy and like really be, be, be effective? And so that's how part of their solar division emerged serendipitously, unexpectedly. But in a way, they created a process, a practice that made it possible for people to connect those kind of dots because they were incentivized to show us the dots, right? Usually when something doesn't work out, we try to hide it away. We try to not talk about it. But by incentivizing people to talk about it, that's when other people can help connect the dots. And so it's really those kind of practices, but also simple things like in meetings, you know, I mentioned earlier, like how instead of just asking, I don't know, you know, how were our numbers last week or X, Y, Z, like we can also ask things like, you know, was there anything last week that really surprised you that you didn't expect? And what happens a lot of times then is that people start opening their eyes to those things that are not expected. And by doing this, they might find new things. So for example, <laughs> one of my absolute favorites is, um, is the, the potato washing machine. And, you know, the, the, the potato washing machine was all about a company in China. They produce washing machines, refrigerators, and they got calls from farmers who said, your crappy machine is always breaking down. And so they asked, why is it breaking down? Well, we're trying to wash our potatoes and it just doesn't work. And so what would we usually say? We would say, well, don't wash your potatoes in a potato washing machine, in a, in a washing machine. It's not made for this. And they did the opposite. They said, that's unexpected, but Let's build in a dirt filter and make it a potato washing machine, which then became one of their products. The point here is that they incentivize the culture where if something new comes in, like an unexpected customer reaction, for example, then they have an investment committee internally that says, oh, we can bet on this idea. We can bet on this idea. And that comes really back to your question earlier also, what we can do as individuals in terms of thinking about portfolios, companies can do the same where like if low probability things pop up, having a filter process that allows us to bet on those things and, and invest into those unexpected things that come up. Well, yeah, I know like Google has that where it's like, 
they have those projects. People, they expect, or not expect, but they, they, they encourage their employees like, to spend 20% of their time just exploring stuff that interests them. Exactly. And that's, in a way, really also around this, how do you as a company frame the idea that everyone should ideally be incentivized, right? To look out for new things. I mean, in the past, we could see, yeah, great, we have a chief innovation officer or like a research and development department. But in a world that's so fast changing, like everyone needs to be, you know, like constantly kind of thinking about how can we do things differently? And I think especially at the moment, right? I mean, COVID has been so fascinating because you see how breweries, for example, realized that they can't sell their alcohol to restaurants who closed down. So they kind of said, oh, wow, like maybe we can use that alcohol to produce hand sanitizer. And so you see like breweries turning into hand sanitizer companies and those things. And that's not an R&D department that like works on something for half a year. That's like the random person in a meeting saying, hey, have we thought about if we can like produce hand sanitizer? So it's really this idea that everyone ideally needs that kind of mindset because in a fast-changing world, it has to come from everywhere. It can't just be a couple of people. Well, Christian, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book and your work? So there's a homepage, which is the serendipitymindset.com. And I'm on Twitter, Chris Serendip. And yeah, I think that's the two major sources probably. Fantastic. Well, Christian Bush, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. My guest today was Christian Bush. He's the author of the book, The Serendipity Mindset. It's available on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find out more information about the book at the website, theserendipitymindset.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash serendipity. You can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you can find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles written over the years. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLINESS at checkout for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android or iOS and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Helps that a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay, reminding you not only listen to the Win Podcast, but put what you've heard into action. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. In a fast-paced world, Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.